Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. Bible. We're going to start in verse 28. If you don't, it's all good. It'll come up on the screen to your left and to your right. It says this, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say the Lord needs it. And those who were sent ahead, they went and they found it just as it had been told to them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. Now, let's just stop right there for just a second. Let's just pause. I find it amazing that the owner says nothing after they say simply the Lord needs it. It it shows me this, it shows me that, watch church, when you just say what Jesus tells you to say, and you just do what Jesus tells you to do, there is such authority behind it. There is such heaven backing behind it. All they had to say, the Lord needs it, the owner said nothing. Imagine like if this happened in like 2019, like you wake up, you go out of the driveway, someone's like taking your car, You're like, hey, what do you you do with my car? Don't worry about it. The Lord needs it, right? You'd be like, well, you can tell the Lord he can take an Uber, right? He can get his own, this is my car, right? Like, I find it fascinating. The owner says nothing because all they did was say what Jesus told them to say. All they did was do what Jesus told them to do. Man, there's power behind it. There's heaven backing behind obedience. And in verse 35, and they brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt and they put Jesus on it. And as he went along, the people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, then stones will cry out. If you want to take some notes tonight, um, I've simply entitled this message Reserved. Reserved. And I found it fitting as we approach Palm Sunday uh, to look at this passage of Scripture as Jesus rides into Jerusalem, uh, as he is praised as a king coming into the city. I thought it would be good for us to maybe examine this text and uh, and see what the Lord wants to say to us tonight. And so anybody ready to receive God's word tonight? Anybody just thankful for Jesus and all that he has done, is doing, will do? Man, I'm I'm just thankful for him. And so one more time, Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that the Bible is divinely inspired. It is not like any other book on our shelves at home. It is living. It is breathing. It is active. It is authoritative. It is powerful. And God, I pray that we would not just be hearers only tonight. Let us be doers of your word. Let us be receivers of your word tonight. God, let us see things we've never seen before. I pray that we would catch new revelation tonight. Lord, for some of us, it's going to be like water to a dry soul tonight. This word is. And so, Lord, we thank you for the privilege of your Holy Spirit with us in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. 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 Cheers. 
Whatever you have in front of you. Hopefully it's water. So, awesome. Hey, um, Bethany, my wife Bethany, who, who's also uh, here tonight, um, we, we don't go out to eat like too often. Um, truth be told, Bethany is like a phenomenal chef. She's a great cook in the house. And so we probably legitimately eat at home at least five, maybe six nights uh, a, a week. And, uh, and so we do a lot of cooking at home. I say we like I do anything. Um, she does a lot of cooking at home and she's great at it. But every now and then, you know, we like to go, obviously just like anyone, we'll go out to dinner. Maybe it's a special occasion or maybe we just want to have a night, the two of us. Um, maybe we'll even take the little guy and we'll go out and get something to eat. But we, when we go out to dinner, perhaps it's because of my like type A, OCD, impatient personality. Um, I hate waiting on a table. Any, can anyone feel me on that? I hate waiting on a table. Like if we go to a restaurant and they're like, yeah, it's going to be 30 minutes. I'm like, I'm out. I'm done. I'm done. Like, I, I can, there's no food that I want that bad to have to wait like half an hour or more on. Like, I'll just come back another day. I just, I'll, I'll go eat something else. I don't like to wait, right? And so because of my impatience, when we do go out to dinner, we like to get a reservation. I always want to call ahead, get a reservation at, at the restaurant because that means there's a specific date, a specific time, maybe even a specific table that has been reserved for me. Like, that's how I like to roll. I want to show up right in the nick of time. I want to pass all the other people waiting in line, getting all the glares, all the dirty looks, as I just move past the line and I just go right on into the table that has been reserved for me. That, that's how I like to go out to dinner. I love a reservation because, watch this, without a reservation, you sit, you wait, you wonder, is my, is my name going to be called next? For those of us who are very impatient, you'll go up to the table again, two and three. And is, is it Archer? I don't know if you wrote us down because I'm pretty sure they came after us and we've been here for them. You're like, you know who you are. You know who you are. All you do is wait. All you do is wonder, right? There's a little bit of anxiety. It's not happening fast enough. Everyone else is going ahead of you. Frustrates you, but with a reservation, there's no worry, there's no anxiety, there's no problem because you know that the table will come on time, your name will be called and you'll be served right on time. Everything is gonna be okay. I love a good reservation. I love reservations. And as I read this story of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, I couldn't help but keep my attention fixated on this cult that the Bible tells us about, that Jesus decided to send for and ride on a donkey, a, a colt, as he goes into the city of Jerusalem. It's interesting to me that Jesus did not send for like some thoroughbred championship horse. Doesn't that seem a little more fitting for a king riding into Jerusalem for the very first time, people singing songs, dancing around, everyone's having a great time. It seems a little more fitting to ride in on a great, big, sturdy horse but he chooses a donkey? Like, what's up with that? A colt, really? That's your, that's your pick. It doesn't seem like a great pick, especially for a king, but nevertheless, Jesus chooses and he calls for the colt. Now, truthfully, the disciples really shouldn't be too surprised in this moment because over the last three years, they've had a front row seat to the fact that Jesus' selection process is a lot different than other leaders during that day. Jesus chooses differently. No one would know that better than the disciples. 
Some of us in here tonight, in fact, we're actually glad for that. Because if Jesus didn't choose so differently, then maybe he wouldn't have chose some of us. But because he chooses like other people don't choose, because he chooses differently, because he chooses uniquely, we have been chosen and set apart. I'm grateful for that. There's been definite seasons and moments in my life where I didn't measure up to what even I thought I should measure up to, but, but yet he chooses differently. And he chose this cult, right? And in fact, it wasn't just any cult, but your Bible says in verse 30 that it was a cult which no one has ever ridden. No one has ever ridden this cult. And I wanna examine this text tonight, if we can have a little bit of fun in church as we dive into God's word. I wanna examine it through the sole perspective of the cult. It was a cult that had never been ridden. It had never been called upon to carry someone. Never carried anyone. I mean, think about what it might have been to be the cult. This is how I like to study the scripture. I like to put myself, myself in the seat of all represented in whatever passage that I'm thinking of. Think about if you were the cult. Here he sits on the local farm day in and day out. He has never been called upon to carry anyone. And I would imagine with every day that he wakes up, he's probably saying to himself, is, is this the day that I'm gonna be used? Is this the day that I'm gonna have an opportunity as he sees other animals, the oxen and the horse, they're, they're getting used to do significant things. They're, they're carrying significant weight. They're, even the horse gets to carry the master, but here's the colt. And he's thinking to himself, will my name ever be called? Will I ever have an opportunity to participate? Or should, I, or should I just settle for other more insignificant roles? Maybe that's just me. Maybe my lot is just to do something a little more insignificant, something just back here in the shadows, something a little more unseen, because it looks like only the people out front. It looks like only the animals that are a little better, a little higher, a little greater. They're the only ones getting used to carry anything significant. Every day he wakes up with high hopes, but every day he's been let down, wondering, will I ever be called upon to carry the master? Will I ever be called upon? Day after day, he's confused maybe about who he is. All the others get to carry items of purpose and I don't get to carry anyone. Perhaps the cult might have even lived in a constant state of isolation, felt a little lonely, felt a little separated, felt a little secluded because he was a cult that had never been ridden. But then one day everything changes for the colt. When two men that he has never seen before stroll on into the farm and they begin to walk over to him. Now the colt in this moment, he doesn't know what's happening. His mind is racing. He's thinking to himself, have I been sold? Hey, hey, what's going on? Have I been traded? Is this, is this the end of the line for me? Is this like my old yeller moment? Just tell me if it is right now. Like, I don't, I don't know what's happening. He's confused. He's anxious. He's worried. He's fearful. All of these emotions fill him up, but he's all settled when he hears a conversation that happens between the two men and his owner. And we see it in verse 33. As they were untying the colt, its owner asked them, why are you untying my colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. And in this powerful moment, the colt is made aware that for years and years, he actually hasn't been sitting in isolation, but rather he's been a reservation. Is it okay if I start preaching now? Is that all right? Can we? Okay. And he hasn't even been reserved for just some mediocre task, but rather it is the Lord that has reserved him. It's the Lord that has use 
for him. He realizes that he's not just been called upon in reserve to finally carry someone, but the very person that he will be carrying on his maiden voyage is the maker of the heavens and the earth, the God who was and is and is to come. In fact, the very maker of himself. It's not just anyone that has use for him. It's the Lord that needs him. It's the Lord that has reserved him. It's the Lord that has called for him. Oh, how exciting and life-changing it must have been for the cult to hear those four words, the Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. You see, church, maybe there's many of us in here tonight or watching at Julington Creek or Orange Park and uh, maybe even later going to watch this online somewhere and you feel like thus far in your life, you feel like you've just been sitting in a waiting bay just kind of wondering like, is my name ever going to be called? Am I ever going to get to do anything significant? There's a lot of other people around me that, that seem to carry significant spiritual weight, kingdom weight. God's using them. He's gifted them. He's, he's given them talents and abilities and, and unique things. It looks like they're all getting turns, but I'm just sitting here waiting on my name to be called. Well, well, what's going on? I, I, I don't understand. I feel like, does God even see me? Does God even still know that I'm here? Perhaps you felt like you're in isolation, but the Holy Spirit wanted me to remind you tonight that no, 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 you're not in isolation, you're a reservation. And what he's reserved for you is actually very significant. You're reserved for a king and he has use for you in his kingdom. Significant use for you. He hasn't forgotten about you. He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't left you for he's the one who made you, called you, saved you, graced you, and purposed you. You're reserved. Somebody say, I'm reserved. And just like the cult in Luke 19, he's reserved you to carry something significant. So what I wanna do for the remainder of our time is I just wanna give you four things that I wrote down that I noticed in this interaction and exchange with our friend, the cult and Jesus. You can take notes if you like. The first one is this, number one, Jesus recalled. Jesus recalled, to, to recall just means to call again. Re, again, to call again. You see, church, God in his great love for humanity, he calls out to us again and again and again and again, constantly reminding us that you were made to carry more than perhaps whatever it is that you're even carrying in this moment. Oh, he, he recalls, he'll call again. He'll, he'll call out to us through the reading of scripture. His voice calls out. He'll call out to us through the preaching and teaching of his word. He'll call out to us in a moment of great worship and in a moment of faith. He'll call out to us over and over and over again to remind you that I don't know what you're currently carrying, but you were, carried, you were made to carry something significant. You're made to carry serious kingdom weight. God's recalled the cult. He's helping the cult understand that he's designed for even more than he ever even realized. And just as the cult carried Jesus into the city, so it is with you and I. God has chosen us to be earthen vessels. Come on, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, to carry the gospel of Jesus into our world. You realize what a great privilege it is to be called upon to carry the master? That you've been reserved to carry the master into the spheres of influence that you live in? I'm telling you, your job will start to look different tomorrow when you, rake, when you wake up and realize I carry the master with me. 
And when you realize that, no longer is this just some mediocre nine to five job, and the only reason I really got this job is because the one I wanted didn't really want to hire me. Or maybe, just maybe, God providentially puts you in that job because he needed someone to carry the master into that sphere of influence. You'll look at your friendships in a whole new light when you realize that you carry the master into those friendships. Everything changes when you realize this is not just about me and my life and my livelihood. This is about me carrying the master into a place that perhaps he's never been. Jesus had yet to go into Jerusalem. And the one he called upon to carry him there was a donkey, was a cult. I'm here to tell you, God will, God will choose anybody. He's no respecter of persons. He shows no partiality. He, he takes people and he chooses them and he calls them out because he wants to be carried into a new place. When you realize you're a carrier of the king, man, it changes the way you wake up in the morning. I love what it says in Romans chapter 10. It says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. See, you're not in isolation. You're on reservation. You're called. You're set apart for the purposes of God. Come on, you, you're called. Listen to that word, called. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. 2 Timothy 1, 9, he has saved us and he has called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. The grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. You know what I love about the cult? The cult didn't do anything to be chosen. He did nothing. He, he didn't dance around, do a jig, try to act really talented. He, didn't, he did nothing. He was chosen because of the goodness and the grace and the purposes of God. You realize you did nothing to be chosen? Sometimes we like to think we do things to get chosen. You actually didn't. We, we didn't do anything to be chosen. Now, now, some of us, you don't even feel worthy enough to be chosen. But it's okay because you don't have to feel worthy to be chosen. He, in fact, he chooses the unworthy, Right? What makes you worthy is the fact that he chooses us, right? I love what we've been saying. I'm not worthy, but worthy is the lamb that was slain. And if it's the lamb that was slain that's doing the choosing, then he gets to decide what's worthy. He calls us. He calls us out, right? The same is true for us, man. God has called us to carry him. Maybe, maybe all you see is your mistakes. Maybe all you think is that your life is a waste. I've done so many wrong things. Why would God ever want to choose me? I'm, I'm just here to say, like, I mean, I, I, I wrote it down, but like, God can turn your setback into a setup. Can't, can he? Like, like he can do it. You, you don't feel, you feel like there's too many setbacks in your life, but God uses it for his glory, and he wants you to carry him into the places that you have influence. The second thing Jesus did is Jesus redeemed. Jesus recalled, but then Jesus redeemed. To redeem simply means to make something acceptable, to restore reputation, to buy something back, to exchange something. Now watch this. According to Old Testament law, if you were to take a man's colt, you had to redeem it or exchange it by giving that owner a lamb. But Jesus didn't have to give a lamb because he was the lamb. Okay? And, and, and so he asks for the colt. You see, not only does our great God call us, but he by his grace and love redeems us. Now, let me help you with redemption for just a second. Yes, you and I are made in the image of God, Genesis 1:27. But when sin entered the world and in man's great rebellion, what happened is it purchased us away from the holiness and righteousness of God. 
But because of Jesus and his sacrifice and perfection, he is able to buy us now back from what purchased us away. So it's redemption, to buy back, to to make an, an exchange, right? Like this is what we celebrate at Easter. We celebrate the fact that Jesus did what no one else could do. He, it, was, it was an amazing exchange that he made. Like there wasn't enough righteousness in my bank account or your bank account to make us in right standing with God. And so Jesus made this great change, this, this great exchange, and, and he bought us back out of the grips of sin and death. I, the other night, my wife and I, we were watching um, an episode. You remember that series? I think it was like a year ago when it actually started, but that series on the Bible that came out, it was like on History Channel or whatever. It was like a, you know, a series on the Bible. So my wife and I, we were watching the Bible and it was the episode where Abraham uh, was asked by God to take his son Isaac up to the mountain and offer a sacrifice and, and, and how it's portrayed kind of in the show. I mean, Abraham, he's really distraught over this. He's thinking to himself like, like, have I not shown enough faithfulness? Good grief. And now you're gonna ask this of me? But, but nevertheless, man, Abraham, boy, what a faithful guy. What an obedient guy, and he takes his son Isaac, and they march up the mountain, and, and here he is, and I'm watching the show with my, my wife, and we're watching this episode, and Abraham, he lays Isaac on the altar, and he binds him up, and, and, and here he is, and he's, a, he's got the knife in the air, and he's about to sacrifice his son, but then all of a sudden, and what I love about the show is, is like, it depicts, and Abraham's out in the wilderness. Paul, I mean, you would know, you've been there so many times over to Israel. He's out in the middle of nowhere. But yet all of a sudden, in the middle of nowhere, on a mountain in the wilderness, a ram shows up. Watch this. Where there was no acceptable sacrifice to be found, but then all of a sudden one appears? Is this not a type and shadow of what Jesus ultimately came to do? When God the Father looks down where no reasonable sacrifice could be found on earth and amongst humanity, so what did he do? He sent one and all of a sudden it would appear that out of nowhere a reasonable sacrifice appears in Jesus. And because of his sacrifice and perfection that he was everything that we are not, he bought us back. He redeemed us. Without life, without the life and sacrifice of Jesus, you and I are lost forever. But because of Jesus, watch this, we can exchange wages of sin for wonderful righteousness. What an amazing exchange. You should, if you feel like you're ever lacking something to praise God about, you can wake up every morning reminding yourself that an exchange was made on your behalf that you didn't deserve, you didn't earn, but God in his great love and mercy and grace made a deal that I don't know any of us would ever made, but that's why he's holy and that's why he's righteous and that's why he is who he is and he's a king that deserves our best praise and he's a savior that deserves all of our worship because he made an exchange that doesn't even make Makes sense in the natural but yet I'm so grateful that he loved me enough to do it and now I am accounted as righteous he took wages of sin and he extends righteousness he bought me back come on redemption can I just give you a short version a short definition of redemption here's what redemption is what used to own you don't own you no more I know that's horrible English, Bethany, I'm sorry, but it just preaches better Southern, okay? So like, what used to own you, don't own you no more. Everybody say, what used to own me, it don't own me no more. That's redemption.
That's redemption. Sin purchased us away. Jesus bought us back. He bought us back. He didn't just call the cult. He redeemed it. He, he purchased it, right? Love what Titus says. I, I wrote Titus verse five. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. I, I left the King James. I actually told my wife the other day, I was like, I'm not saying Holy Spirit anymore. I'm going back to ghost. I'm going back to just a dose of the ghost. All right. Which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. You know what the crazy part about the Bible is? The crazy part about the Bible is not that God judges our wickedness, but it's that our best attempts at righteousness are still filthy rags to him. It's crazy. But Jesus, he makes us acceptable before God. He restores our reputation. He buys us back from the sin that took us away. He exchanges his perfection for our lack of, and he pays a massive debt that every single one of us owns. What used to own me, don't own me no more. The third thing was this, Jesus released. He recalled, he redeemed, but then he released the cult. You see, the cult was two things. The cult was owned and it was tied up. Therefore, it needed to be purchased and set free. There's a principle right here that you can write down. Um, Jesus can't release you until he redeems you. He can't release you until he redeems you. But if he redeems you, boy, does he have the ability to set you free and release you in all that he has for your life. See, the, the truth is for some of us in here tonight who have yet to, to place our faith in Jesus as the risen son of God and the Lord and savior of the world who is a king, who is returning again to set up his kingdom on earth. For those of us who have not made that declaration in our heart yet, listen, if you are not redeemed, you will never be fully released. There will always be things that have you tied up, things that have you bound. There, there will always be addiction. There will always be limiters because God cannot release what he has not redeemed. But that's the benefit that we have in redemption is that as soon as I offer myself as a living sacrifice to the God who loves me, the savior of the world, and I am redeemed by him, I am bought back by him. Well, then now he can do a releasing in my life. Now I can actually step into freedom. I can be set free from everything that has limited me thus far, but you gotta be redeemed. If you wanna be redeemed, you gotta be released. If you wanna be purchased, you have to be, or in order, you must be purchased before you can be set free. God wants to release you into greater things than you could ever imagine. I, I wrote this down too. Here's what you need to understand about the releasing and about God coming into your life is, is he doesn't wanna share ownership of your life with anything else. God, God's not, honestly, God's not a good sharer. <laughs> he's, he's not a good, he doesn't want to share ownership of you with anything else in the world. He wants to fully redeem you. He wants to fully own you. He wants to fully rule and lead your life. He wants all of your life. I'll say it like this. Jesus did not send the disciples to get joint custody of the cult. Jesus doesn't do joint custody. Jesus doesn't do shared custody, right? There's too many people living who profess themselves to be Christians, but they're only giving up joint custody to Jesus. And I'll give Jesus a few days, but on the weekends, I go see the other thing that owns me. Woo! 
It's not even in my notes. I don't even know where this is coming from. He just doesn't do shared well. He wants all. He wants to rule. He wants to lead your life. He doesn't want to share you with the world. Remember, remember what John, what did I write? John 10. Look at what John 10, 10 says. Remember this. The thief comes what? Only. Just, just look at the word. The thief comes. Say it again. The thief comes. The thief comes. Only. To steal, kill, and destroy. He literally does nothing else. That's all he does only. But I, Jesus, have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Why would you want to share custody of your whole being when Jesus is the only one given life? Why would we ever share? Why would we ever have some dual ownership thing try to set up and like it can't happen? He wants all. He wants all. He wants a genuine demonstration of loyalty that he is the ruler and leader and owner of your life. Because what used to own you don't own you no more. Jesus releases us so that we can move forward. And as the band gets ready to join me tonight, the last one is this. Jesus ruled. Jesus ruled. He, he recalled, he redeemed, he bought back, he purchased back, he released. He can only release what he redeems. But then the fourth one is Jesus ruled. The thing about Jesus ruled is this, Jesus can rule because he is the king. Kings can rule. When I look at this story, what I notice is that Jesus did not release the cult to just let the cult just wander and do whatever it wanted to do. He released the cult to do what he needed it to do. He set it free for his purposes. You're gonna now do, I set you free, I bought you, I purchased you. I'm the new owner now. I rule your life, cult. And so I'm gonna go ahead and untie you from what has kept you bound. You see, that's, that's the whole thing. When you haven't been redeemed, when you haven't been redeemed by Jesus, there's seasons in your life where you'll even still have a moral conviction, but because you haven't realized that Jesus is actually the solution, even in a moral conviction, you'll, tie, you'll, you'll try your best to walk away from things that have kept you limited, but it, the noose is still around your neck and you're still tied up to something and it just, it just yanks you back because you can't be set free until you've been redeemed. And so what Jesus says is, hey, Colt, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead, I'm going to untie you. But, but you don't just get to wander off. Because what happens is if he let you just wander off, then sooner or later you would get picked up and owned by something else again. That's why he doesn't let you just wander. Something else would get you. Something else would catch you. You, you get owned by something else in the world. And so he says, look, I'll redeem you. Oh, I'm so happy to redeem you. This is why I sent my son. I'm so happy to redeem you. I'll even release you, but I'm releasing you for the purposes that I've called you to do. So he takes the cult and the cult serves the purposes of the king and his kingdom. The same is true for our lives. God doesn't redeem and release us so that we can just wander off. He releases us for his purposes to do, his, do what he's called us to do, set us apart for the kingdom. And can I tell you this? Nothing is better in this life than being used to carry the master into places that he's never been. You actually get to carry the master 
It still blows my mind that we as believers get the privilege of literally being walking earthen vessels of the Holy Spirit, our God. That, that He would even consider dwelling in, in something like us. That we would, that he, that we would like, it just, it blows my mind. Like I could see him like saying like, oh, I want to use humanity to do something cool in my kingdom and like just give us some like little tasks here and there. But, but literally the way God has chosen to use us in this age is he's saying, I will put my actual spirit within you and allow you to be a representative, a voice on behalf of me to carry me into places that I have never been. That's a lot of trust. It actually, it, it's, it's really hard to fathom because I know me and you know you. You're like, seriously, Lord, you want to actually do this? You want you want me to be the carrier? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't, like, I, I don't, I don't know if I feel, I feel worthy. I don't know if I feel like I can do this, right? That, but that's the way he's chosen to go about this, that we would be the carriers of the master because there is a king and his kingdom is coming but he wants all your life. I've seen people pray prayers where they said things like, God, I want, God, I want you to use my life. I want you to own my life and use my life for your glory and, and all this kind of stuff. And then 12 months later, they're mad because they feel used and owned. <laughs> that's the, like, that's what it is. He wants to use you. He wants to own you, but nothing could be better. The interesting thing as I close about this story in Luke chapter 19 is that it's, an, it's actually a drama of a real event that is yet to come. It's like an enactment. I guess it's not a reenactment. That would be after. It's like a pre-enactment. It's a pre-enactment of an actual event that is coming soon one day. And you and I have a chance to be in the real drama when it all unfolds. See, the enactment in this gospel passage was that Jesus was being carried into a city and, and people thought he was going to be a king to set up a kingdom and they were still a little confused when he had to go to the cross and now no one knows what in the world's going on. They thought they were going to overtake Rome. They thought this was the moment. This was the hour. We have no idea what's going on. It was just a type and shadow. It was an enactment of, oh, something that is coming that is real. And when he comes back again, he is coming into the city and he will set up his reign and he will set up his kingdom. And he's asking if we will be the ones to help carry him in the process. Before he comes, he's looking at a church, he's looking at a bride. Will you help prepare your city for my coming? Is it okay if, if you carry my Holy Spirit and prepare the way for the coming king? This is what he asks of all of us because it's a real event that's gonna happen. And it's really coming and God wants to use us. The cult was reserved. It wasn't isolated and neither are you. The cult wasn't forgotten and neither are you. The cult wasn't abandoned and neither are you. The cult didn't have some small, insignificant assignment and neither do you. He's called you to carry something significant. 
His very spirit and power is in our lives to be the witnesses of the coming king and his kingdom. This is what we were reserved for. This is what your life's mission is. This is what your calling and purpose is. If you're in here tonight and you're like far from God in your relationship and, and maybe you don't have a genuine relationship with Jesus and he is not yet your savior or your king and you've just been distant from him, you, you might have days of life that you have lived when you feel like a little out of place and I don't know what my purpose is and I don't even know why I'm here and if I disappeared tomorrow, would anyone even realize? And you have all these questions, but hopefully tonight you're catching the understanding that what you were actually created to do is this. This is what you were reserved for. You're actually a reservation that the King of all kings has made, that the Lord of all lords has put in the books that he wants to use you. And if you're apart from Jesus and you think your life is fulfilled, you know nothing of fulfillment. If you're apart from God and you think that you know about joy, it tells me that you know nothing of joy. If you think that like you're making money and business is good, but it's all apart from Jesus and you think that's purpose, you know nothing of purpose. Because it's all found in this, because this is what you were reserved for. You were reserved to carry the master. With everyone standing to their feet, I wanna pray. We're reserved, we're reserved. We're not in isolation, we're a reservation. I love what it says in John 6 verse 28. It says, then they asked him, they asked Jesus, what must we do to do the works that God requires. And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he sent. So there's two types of people that I wanna pray for tonight before we worship again and the team leads us. Um, it's simple, I'll go ahead and show my cards. I'm not gonna hide it from you. I wanna pray for two groups of people. I wanna pray for people that need to be redeemed. And then I wanna pray for people that need to be released. But understand, you can't be released until you've been redeemed. But there's people in here tonight, maybe at our Julington Creek or Orange Park locations right now, and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Because you were born into sinful humanity, whether you think you're a bad person or not, listen, you were born into it. And you were born into the fact that sin purchased you away from righteousness. It purchased you away from holiness. It purchased you outside, it brought you outside of good standing and right standing with God. But hopefully tonight you're catching the understanding that it's Jesus that'll buy you back. That his blood is rich, he never runs out, he can buy back any amount of sin. You're thinking to yourself right now, look preacher, my sin resume is pretty long, it's pretty lengthy. I don't know, I don't know if his blood can cover all this. Listen, if he can cover some of the people I see sitting in here right now, he'll cover you. He'll cover you. Some of the stories I've heard, I mean, I mean, think about it. The, the, half of our New Testament comes from a man that God redeemed that was a murderer, killed Christians. His, he woke up every day before Jesus, passionate about ending the Christian faith. But God says, you know what I'm gonna show humanity is my blood is rich enough to buy back even a man named Saul. I'll purchase him. I'll use him. His blood is rich.
never loses its power, He can buy you back. And there's people in here tonight that need to be redeemed. You need to be bought back. You need to be bought back. There's no condemnation in Jesus. But with every head bowed and every eye closed, as you examine your own heart, you know, tonight's the night. I don't know how you got here. Maybe you think like, oh, someone invited me or I was gonna give church another try tonight. Like I'm just one of those preachers that believes that you're actually here because the Holy Spirit wanted you here. That maybe your other plans fell through tonight and that actually wasn't a coincidence but God was orchestrating a moment so that he could get you in this room to hear this message because he's been chasing you. His grace is after you. It is relentless. You can't run fast enough. You can't hide good enough. His grace is chasing and chasing and chasing. He wants to buy you back. And all you get when you run from Jesus is tired because he never wears out. If you need to be redeemed, tonight's the night. On the count of three, I want you to be bold and I want you to lift your hand and say, yes, Jesus, purchase my life, rule my life, lead my life, own my life, because what has owned me in the past don't own me no more. On the count of three, one, two, three, put your hand in the air, high and bold. Don't be ashamed, lift it up right now. Come on, come on. If that's you right now, I, I want, it would be my sincerest privilege to pray for you. I would love to invite you to come out of your seat. I just want to shake your hand. Just come down here right now. Don't be afraid. Don't even think about it. Just go ahead and come. Just go ahead and come. Just go ahead and come. I want to pray for you. And church, why don't we celebrate like God's doing some redeeming right now? Just go ahead and come on now. Go, hey, as long as they're walking, we're clapping. As long as they're walking, we're rejoicing. If you have a spouse or a girlfriend or a friend that is standing down here right now, I don't know why you're still in your seat. I don't even know why you're in your seat. You need to come down here and stand next to your friend. Stand next to your spouse. Stand next to your girlfriend. Listen to me. Every, everyone looking at me right here. I love y'all. I love y'all and I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. There's a lot, there's a lot of people, and when I say a lot, I, I mean thousands who have stood right where you sit in this very auditorium to do exactly what you're doing in this moment. To say that what used to own me don't own me no more. It don't own me, it has no authority over me. What, what, what we're gonna do is we're gonna pray. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. My prayers aren't magical. I'm just gonna lead you, but you're gonna say it. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans that when we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and God raised Him from the dead, that we can be saved. It's not some 12-step program. It's not a lengthy thing. It's not 13 classes that you gotta go to. It's literally, I'm gonna believe in my heart and I'm just gonna say it with my mouth. And Jesus is gonna buy you back. And, and when He buys you back, what happens is He generously gives the Holy Spirit you know how I was talking a few minutes ago about we're carriers of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God that like lives in us. We're earthen vessels. I'm literally a vessel of like flesh and blood and bone, but the Spirit of God lives in me. The Spirit of God lives in you as a believer in Jesus. And when His Spirit is in you, it brings authority into your life. 
So, so the reason you're gonna need that authority is because when the thing that used to own you gets ticked off, that you're, something else is putting up a fight for the ownership of you, now you have the authority to look at it and say, no, 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 you, you, you had a season, but it ain't your season no more. You, you had a minute, it's not your minute anymore. You used to own me, but you don't own me no more. It gives you the authority to say that, and then it gives you the power to walk out a God-first life. I'm not gonna lie to you, I'm not gonna be a preacher that lies, because <laughs> that would be a bad preacher. I'm not gonna be a preacher that lies, but I, I can't promise you you're gonna wake up tomorrow and every problem you've ever had is gonna be solved tomorrow as you eat your breakfast. But I can tell you this, as you just wake up with a declaration in your heart that through the power of the Holy Spirit in me, I am just gonna be steadfast to just put one foot in front of the other. What you're gonna find is that this life of serving Jesus is the most rewarding and fulfilling thing that you've ever been a part of. And so church, why don't we just pray this with everyone down here? because some of them are probably praying it for the very first time. So you can just repeat after me. Everyone say, Lord Jesus, I recognize that you're the way, the truth, and the life, the Savior, and the Redeemer. I put my faith in you. I confess with my mouth. I believe in my heart. You are the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the atoning sacrifice that I needed. You are once and for all. It never has to be done again. Your sacrifice was perfect. You were raised from the dead. You're seated with your Father, and you're coming again soon. I take my will, my plans, I throw them to the side. I am not self-directed. I am God-directed. I am Spirit-filled. I am Spirit-led. I am obedient. I am walking out of here tonight full of faith and in love with you. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.